Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. And yes, I broke down and bought an M3 Pro, MacBook Pro. We'll talk about that. Plus, people are now getting demos of spatial video captured on iPhone and what it looks like in the Vision Pro. New betas for watchOS and iOS 17.2 are out. Nothing Phone has an iMessage hack. And the AI pin launched earlier this week for $700. This episode is brought to you by FastMail, Notion, and Masterclass. And joining me this week, my friend Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? I'm ready to see how much money we can get you to spend this It's been week. rough. It's been rough. Uh, we will we will talk <laughs> about that. Uh, the AI pin, my goodness, that, th- that thing is expensive, but... Yeah, well, okay, we'll save it. We'll save it. We'll get to that. We have a couple five-star review shout-outs, two young bloods from USA and Shade N from Canada. Two five stars. Thank you for those. Also, Shade N had a question for us. I'm not no, I'm not sure if I'm particularly equipped to answer this well, but they were asking they have a 2016 MacBook Pro. They want to upgrade to an M2 MacBook Air. But I think it's uh I think one of their kids or whatever. They're actually wanting a Lenovo Legion Slim 7i with an RTX 4070. They're asking, what is a better computer, that or the M2 MacBook Air? And I'll be honest, I have no idea about any Lenovo laptop or what any of those letters or words mean. So you should probably just get a MacBook Air. That's that's fine. If you really want a gaming computer, because I'm assuming that's what that's right. for, just go buy a console. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> get get the MacBook Air and a console and you'll be happier. Exactly. Yep, that, that's what I'm sorry. I, I really don't have more information because I really have no idea. I have not looked at a Windows computer in many years. Uh, now, the big news for this week, maybe the biggest news, just this morning as we record, Apple Music Classical. It's now out for iPad. It has a sidebar, Stephen. A sidebar. Revolutionary. Such courageous. Courageous change for Apple Music Classical. No, it's nice. It's now on iPad. There were a few people that responded on social media. They were like, yeah, that's where I kind of my music hub or kind of my music player is my iPad. So it's nice to have Apple Music Classical on there. Still not on the Mac yet, which is interesting why they wouldn't just kind of do a Catalyst app for both places. But nice to see. And it seems like still no AirPlay 2, which means you can only control the music from a source device like an iPhone or an iPad. You can't tell a HomePod to start playing Apple Music Classical, which is interesting. Yeah, that is that is weird. Yeah, and the playlist sharing is still um, can be a little cumbersome. But but anyway, glad it's there. Now, on uh, last week's podcast, I was telling William about my waffling and my consternation about the M3s and what to do, and how I ordered several and canceled several, and uh, how I didn't have one. Well, now I have one. Okay, listen, I don't, I don't need any judgment, all right? What, I, what happened was, A, my local Apple store in Brandon, Florida, had the M3 Pro, not the base base M3 Pro, but like the one step up that is unbinned, so it has all the cores, and it was 18 gigabytes of unified memory, one terabyte SSD. They had it in stock to pick up that day, and I kept, I kept doing the math in my head. Totally unnecessary upgrade. You know, before anybody asks me, which pe- plenty of people did already, but totally unnecessary for my workflow. Although, I'll talk about my performance experience in a moment. I wanted the space black. My trade-in value is only going to go down for my M1 Pro MacBook Pro, and I got over $1,000 in this trade-in. And uh, so I decided to do it. I traded it in, got the M3 Pro. Space black is very nice. I have to say now from personal hands-on experience, the space black color looks so different in all the different lighting, even in the same room. You just angle that thing slightly, and that space black just looks all very different. It's just really different. So it's a re- it's just a reflective surface, right. and light changes it very easily. I mean, <laughs> it is funny if you put it in the right lighting; it's almost identical to the space gray color. So it it is, especially outside. It starts looking very lightly colored. Uh, but but I like it. The color is the least of the issues of a computer. <laughs> True. But 
I wanted it. I liked the space bike. I got it. Steven, speaking of spending money, I I discovered I can make your network even faster, but you'll have to move to China because Mm. they have a 1.2 terabyte or terabit, I'm sorry, 1.2 terabit per second network that listen, you can connect to, just in case you want to upgrade to get a little bit faster than what you have. My now. Listen, my use case is uploading 4K video and my two gigabit speeds, I mean, it's it's under a minute. And listen, I'm I'm writing other things while it, it, I'm good. But that is amazing. That is an amazing speed. <laughs> it's, it's kind of insane, yeah. It is it's, insane. I mean, like 10 years from now. They've built a 1,860 mile connection to this 1.2 terabit so network. It's so nuts. Madness. I don't know what they're doing with it. Maybe they're playing some Genshin Impact. I don't know. Downloading every movie ever in under an hour. I don't know. Checking William Gallagher's Wikipedia Wikipedia page. I, I will really say fast. here in the US at least, what really needs to be worked on is the expansion of fiber networks so more people have more choice to their internet service provider. Oh, yeah. I'd love yeah. fiber. Right, exactly. And <laughs> even here in Central Florida, where I lived in my last house, we were very close to downtown. Like it wasn't a small town or whatever, but uh, cable internet was the only option on Spectrum. And so we just need more ISP. Well, I don't know about more ISPs. Competition is good, but we just need fiber. We just need fiber everywhere. We we need a nonprofit to just lay fiber across the entire country. That's, <laughs> that's what nice. we need to happen. It's hard to do. <laughs> so I've been using the M3 Pro for the past week. I think I got, yeah, I got it last Friday and, you know, I I did some video editing on it because I really wanted to feel what that felt like. And honestly, it's great. You know, I'm doing 4k video. I'm not doing like multiple streams of 4k. I do have some multicam clips, both 4k. I'm not doing 8k video or anything crazy. It doesn't miss a beat. The M3 pro is just excellent to edit on in final cut. I know there's supposedly an update coming to final cut. We talked about it uh, in last week's episode. The update should be coming this month in November that will increase the performance even more on these M3 chips. So I'm excited for that. But exporting, I send all my Final Cut projects to Compressor to do all the exporting and things like that. And I have to say, it is very fast going to Compressor. I think it is actually a little faster on exporting than my M1 Max Mac Studio. And I imagine that has to do with all the the new cores, the three nanometer, the graphics processing that the M3 lineup has has improved on. So that's really nice. Coming from M1, I mean, M3 Pro is a pretty good jump. It is a pretty good jump. I I didn't do the M2 line except for my iPad Pro, really, which I'm not doing video export on that. So I'm excited to see what the M3 Max in a Mac Studio and really the M3 Ultra, what that might do, because I have my Mac Studio here. It's doing great. Love it. It's my M1 Max. And uh, I don't know. I'll be tempted, of course, by the M3 Ultra, but we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, it's been great performance. I'm enjoying the computer. Whether or not you should upgrade, it it all depends on your use case, what you need. A a vast majority of people would probably do well with an M2 MacBook Air for like the next seven years, but it really just depends on your workflow. I mean, if you're on M1 anything, you're you're like, and you're like, even if you're just considering at all upgrading, just upgrade. But I mean, if you're on M2, you're probably fine. That's just pretty much, uh, if you're in an industry where you know every second counts, you're going to upgrade every time. You're not going to have a question, but um, everyone else, like you'll know if you need to upgrade or not. And I would definitely say if you're even considering it, if you have the money in your pocket and you have an M1 computer, just make the jump. The M3, uh, it is seems significant, at least in my short testing, but we have our full review of the M3 Max 16-inch MacBook Pro up on the site. I'll put that article in the show notes. And Apple has also come out to kind of explain to us what is uh, dynamic caching and what are really the GPU enhancements. And Wes has a great article on it. 
So Wes, maybe you can help me understand what exactly is dynamic caching? Well, it's uh, actually quite a lot to explain. This There's a video Apple put out for their developers uh, going into the very nitty gritty detail. And I tried to break it down into easier language and layman's terms and just kind of just say, hey, this is what it is. But it, it, the video actually covers multiple parts of the new ch- GPU architecture from dynamic caching to hardware accelerated ray tracing and mesh shading. Long story short, it's really just all about multiplying the amount you can do in parallel. Mm. So for for example, uh, the whole dynamic caching uh, comes from, there's on GPU memory, basically, there's memory used specifically for processing processes on the GPU. Basically, the more memory you can allocate to processes, the more processes you can run in parallel, the more you can get done at once. It just makes everything faster. And because of that, you can actually, you don't even actually have to update a game or an app or whatever to take advantage of this. It's just the chip is more intelligent about how it's handling memory. There's these things basically called uh, registers and they've assigning memory to different tasks. But if a series of code has a piece of code in it that isn't even being used, but it's part of that code set, basically, it's going to allocate as much memory as it needs for everything in that line of code. Even if, like and like I said, it's inefficient um, in the older ways of doing it because it would allocate code for things it wasn't even using in a certain process just because it was part of that um, particular code base. It's Again, it's hard to explain, especially vocally. <laughs> sure. Go read it. Uh, basically, it, may, it opens up those registers to basically double up what is available depending on the processes being run through the GPU. More of it's able to be cached. More of it's able to be shifted to chip memory. The on-chip memory is more flexible. There used to be caches, basically, that were hardwired for certain kinds of memory like there would be a register memory that just was only ever used for register type uh, things and then there was uh there'd be thread group or tile memory yeah none of these words mean anything to me either (laughs) i don't know what um uh, but basically it's just there's different kinds of processes that happen on the chipset it only was able to allocate certain parts of the memory on the gpu but now the entire memory of the gpu is called is basically a flexible cache so there's no longer bits of the memory that can only be used for a certain process which would be wasted in certain processes if so yeah go go check it out i promise i'm much more coherent in text and (laughs) (laughs) and it 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 really does make sense It, it clears up a lot of because apple kind of just hand waved it because they're running the same problem i am uh it's actually really kind of difficult to put into layman's terms it's a complicated process but it does work and it has immediate benefits to everything even if you're not specifically coding for this new system so it's pretty cool very cool we'll put a link to that article in the show notes you can read in detail if you're really curious about the chip performance and gpus and all of that now apple vision pro Apple has been giving demos to select journalists and Apple pundits about spatial video that was recorded on an iPhone 15 Pro played back into the Apple Vision Pro. John Gruber of Daring Fireball got a demo. Joanna Stern of the Wall Street Journal, CNET, and several others actually got to do this. They were actually able to capture video on an iPhone 15 Pro, and then it was loaded up into a Vision Pro by Apple for them to experience themselves. And it seems universally to be an incredibly wild and vivid experience to capture something on the iPhone and then see it in spatial video in the Vision Pro. Everyone says it's just kind of wild. Now, during this demo, they were not allowed to capture 
spatial video with the Vision Pro headset. That is supposedly going to be a feature when it launches where you can capture video directly on the headset. John Gruber said in his article that he asked, if I press the digital crown right now, will it capture spatial video? And the Apple person said, yes. And then I think they followed it up by saying, please don't touch it. (laughs) So they were not allowed to capture on the headset for whatever reason, but they were able to take iPhone video. And again, it just seems that more and more of these demos that select people are getting, the incredible nature of this spatial video and the immersiveness of the Apple Vision Pro just keeps getting hyped uh, more and more. Are you taking spatial video with your with your iPhone? See right now, now, in the 17.2 beta, which we'll get to in a second, you can record spatial video right now if you put the beta on your iPhone 15 Pro. I do not run the beta on my main device, so I am not capturing any spatial video. What about you? Uh, I haven't done anything interesting enough to do it, but I'm definitely tempted. Like I'm going to travel to Gatlinburg in a couple of weeks, and it's a beautiful area. Like it, it'll be cool. It's going to make me wonder, like what in particular this is going to be great for because 3d is such an interesting thing i was actually a a lot of money on 3d televisions and uh, different types of i had a uh, active 3d television and then i shifted to the passive 3d television and i had the playstation tv that that was a 24 inch 3d tv that i could put on the ship and uh, fit in a locker Uh, i had a a lot of uh play time with uh, 3d let's say and i'm interested to see like what the spatial video looks like on a 3d screen because you're not getting a lot of separation from those cameras uh, but it should be enough that like filming a room of people right. it's going to feel really intimate because you're going to have that depth but if you're like out on a nature trail i'm, I'm curious like how much distance plays into this like if right. if, if a subject is super far away is it going to feel the same as a 2d video because you're not getting any real depth anymore because the separation isn't going to make you feel like you're looking over the edge of a cliff I, i'm just i'm curious about how all that's going to work but um yeah I'm, definitely one of the first things i'm going to try i'm also curious if the iphone is capturing some depth information like using the lidar and other methods to enhance the 3D effect of the spatial video it's capturing, and maybe that will help it feel more, uh, you know, 3D. Capturing... Someone's going to dissect the Heath package, but uh, for my, my understanding is right now, all it's really doing is capturing two videos, and right. they're optically separated. So when you're wearing a, a headset like the Vision Pro or even the Oculus, um, your eyes are optically separated. One Each eye has an individual lens to look at, so you don't actually need to do uh, any weird overlaying or software you just need to show a video optically separated for each eye and uh, of course the spatial video is calculating this so that it's you know it looks like a proper overlay and your brain is tricked into doing a 3d calculation basically because our brains are stupid it takes these two images and overlays them itself so the brain's actually doing most of the heavy lifting as long as the video is captured at a proper separation that's all that really matters it, it there doesn't need to be death data or anything because it, it extra calculation isn't happening as far as i'm aware um there might be some extra magic somewhere for algorithmic stuff but it's mostly just go back in time to when you put on the red and blue glasses 
you're looking at two videos at the same time and the glasses are just filtering out which eye gets which right. video. And it's honestly, 3D technology has not changed <laughs> at all. We've just gotten better lenses, better glasses, better filtering. Well, and, and better ways to experience it a la like a headset rather than just the paper yeah, glasses exactly. with a little plastic red and green film in it. Exactly. The resolution's yeah, increased. Yeah, yeah. Everything's increased. It's just the technology behind it, the way our eyes right. work hasn't changed. And um, really, we're just tricking our brain into taking 2D objects and turning them into a 3d object so yeah i'm curious so lance ulanoff from tech radar said he thinks that spatial video may be vision pro's killer app maybe enough of a reason for people to try it uh, as of right now if you capture spatial video on your iphone it maxes out at 1080p 30 frames per second probably because one of the cameras that is capturing one of the eyes basically is the ultra wide camera on the iphone and it's having to crop in that sensor to match the main camera. If you have an iPhone right. 15 Pro or Pro Max, if you look at your camera module, if you're holding your phone in the portrait mode, kind of like normal orientation, but you're looking at the back of the phone, the left lenses, the very top left is the ultra wide and the bottom left one is the main quote unquote wide lens, the 48 megapixel. And so if you turn your phone landscape where those two lenses are now at the top and the uh, telephoto lens is the bottom one. Uh, that's how you get that stereoscopic vision because those two lenses are in row, in a row. What's great about this, there's a lot of actual benefits to this. And yes, I understand people love numbers and resolution is a big deal, especially when uh, images are so close to your face. Processing can actually help with that and uh, they can magic away some of the pixels right. and uh, noise and make it a little bit more crisp. And uh, again, like I don't think people not complained uh, who have done these demos. Of course, the shock and awe might wear off and eventually we can start pixel peeping these videos. Right. The people who've done these demos haven't complained about, wow, you could really tell the, the frame rate and resolution was terrible. No, they're just like, wow, this is really intimate and I like this. But um, the reason why we're going with this particular resolution, the ultra wide is a 12 megapixel camera, which means just mathematically it can record a 4k video. If it's just taking straight from the sensor to video, you get 4k to get to 1080p. You divide that by four. So a square that can fit within a fourth of the size of the ultra wide may most likely in the center of the lens because that way there's no distortion from the ultra wide. It's able to basically capture a perfect 1080p square. And what's even cooler about that is it doesn't need, uh, I mean, in addition to any hardware stabilization, uh, I don't think ultra wide has any, it can do software stabilization because it can move what the sensor, what pixels of sensor are using based on hand movement as well. So you're going to have really steady video because they're cropping in on that sensor so much. They're going to be able to do a lot of stabilization and then the other camera being a 48 megapixel sensor, again, you're cropping in, it's not even by uh, 4X, it's like 16X now. It's gonna be able to capture just really high quality, dense uh, video. And again, once you get to the final product of 1080p, 30 Hertz, yes, like on a TV running at 60 frames, that's probably gonna be noticeable. Like you, you'll be able to pixel right. peep that pretty well. But on a visor where they have full control of the environment, where I believe spatial video, I don't know if you can step into it as a scene, as if you were like inside of the you know spatial video. I think it's still shown as a window, as if you're watching right. a movie that you can just kind of tilt your head to get a 3D effect. That video, it's gonna be a zoomed in piece of that screen in front of your eyeball. Yeah, per 4K eye. per eye. So guess what? You're actually watching a pixel perfect recreation of that 1080p video in 3D in front of your eyes. 
at 30 frames per second. So I don't think it's going to be an issue. And um, people are saying, oh, it'll get better later. We'll get 4K later. I'm not sure how much difference that'll make when we're talking about really tiny screens in front of your eyes with high pixel density already. The 30 frames might increase to 60. More frame rate is always important in video, but the resolution makes sense for what we're dealing with. And it, it's not going to change anytime soon as long as we're dealing with yeah. a 12 megapixel ultra wide. No, no, no. I'm, I'm excited to try it. And, and, you know, capturing people, family members, you know, there was the weird birthday scene during the keynote where it showed like a dad wearing the headset at the birthday party or, or just with his kids. And, and that felt weird, but capturing it on your iPhone is natural now. You know, people just expect it capturing, you know, someone singing happy birthday with the cake. Like if you could do that on your iPhone and then experience it later in the vision pro, I think it's going to be compelling, interesting uh, to see. I also wonder if this has not been anywhere in the news or announced at all, but to somehow make past maybe cinematic video that you have captured giving it some 3D effect because you've captured some depth information. I don't know. That would be curious if, if they would do that. But I'm curious to try it early 2024. We're supposed to get this Vision Pro shipping in hand. So we'll see. Spatial video will be cool, but I can't wait to do what you were talking about, Stephen. I want to capture a scene. Yeah, exactly. Like using using my LiDAR sensor, I want to create a 3D depth map of a place I'm visiting and then being able to just walk back into yeah. that room. Like, you know, Sonos style where you're doing, there's there's a system on Sonos where you have to tune true, uh, true play. Tr with yeah, true exactly. play and you walk around the room like a an idiot with your phone and waving it in the air up and down, up and down to uh, teach the speakers where they are placed in the room and how the sound is bouncing off furniture. Well, instead of audio, do that with video. Wait, walk around a room, waving your phone up and down, letting the LiDAR and cameras capture every inch of a space that you're in or a wilderness that you're in or whatever, and then import it as a scene into Vision Pro. Like I, I, I think that's ultimately where we'll get to, and that'll be way more interesting. It won't be video, so to, so to speak, because I don't think you can capture moving targets that way, but it'll be really cool to be able to capture environments that way and just be able to like revisit a room of a relative that you you know that you know or like a, a, maybe you've decorated for christmas and you can go back and see how um beautiful your living room was or just things like that like that that's a potential of vision pro is being able to re relive these memories in a really dynamic way that we just never been able to do before this episode is brought to you by fast mail because i've thought about email a lot the last however many years because email seems like it's existed forever but I want to make sure my email is private, it's secure, that it's mine. I like having custom domain names, and I have a lot of custom domain names. And honestly, I have finally landed on for the last couple of years of using Fastmail for my personal and business email provider. Because Fastmail puts your privacy first. For over 20 years, Fastmail has been a leader in email privacy. It's ad-free. There's no tracking. You can do calendar, email, and contacts all in one app. And you can sync Fastmail with your iPhone, your Mac, your iPad, all of that. You can do CalDev for events, your IMAP email syncs across all your devices, and it all works great. And FastMail, especially in the FastMail app, you can do scheduled send, masked email, snooze, like real snooze, not just the remind me later that you get in Apple Mail. No shade, just saying. And that's something I do a lot. I like snoozing email, so I don't even see it in my inbox. I can set a date for when I want that email to reappear, and I can do it all directly in the FastMail app on my iPhone or FastMail on the web. Switching is really easy. I came from the Big G email provider. I was actually paying for a workspace account over there and I was able to export and import all of my emails into my Fastmail account. And I know they're all there because sometimes I'll search for like a license code for a piece of software that I bought many years ago. And it's there in my Fastmail account because everything was imported from, well, the other place. Again, I have many custom domains which you can use for aliases, 
Human support is available. And of course, you could customize features in the FastMail app, like swiping for folders, labels, custom swipes, and all of that. So to learn more about their service, visit fastmail.com slash Apple Insider for 10% off your first year and follow them on Facebook, X, Mastodon, LinkedIn, all of that. But go to fastmail.com slash Apple Insider for 10% off and to try it today. I absolutely love FastMail and I know you will too. Well, thanks to FastMail for sponsoring this episode and our friends at Masterclass. Listen, we all probably work a job. Maybe you work for yourself and freelance or maybe you work in an organization and honestly, knowing how to either talk to clients or talk to your boss and leadership is such a key aspect of A, just quality of life, but being able to get that raise that you want or being able to have conversations where you can actually get your opinion or point of view across in a meaningful way. That's why I highly recommend Chris Voss's class on Masterclass. Chris Voss wrote the book, Never Split the Difference, and he was the lead FBI hostage negotiator, but his class on Masterclass is incredible. Hearing him teach the key elements of his strategies and helping you take those strategies into the workplace and even in your personal life. Masterclass makes a meaningful gift this season for you and anyone on your list because you can both learn from the best to become your best, from leadership to effective communication to cooking. And you can watch Masterclass on any device. Download the app on your Apple TV, iPhone, and iPad. You can watch it on the web. And I honestly love watching one on my iPhone. Then you can flip it into audio only mode and it's like you're listening to a podcast. Each lesson in a masterclass is about 10 to 15 minutes long. So it's great to do on a lunch break or binge an entire class on a weekend and learn something new. Membership starts at just $120 a year for unlimited access to one-on-one -on -one classes from some of the best across so many different industries like acting, cooking, training your pet, music, and all 180 plus masterclass instructors. You get all of that for $120 a year. Again, I love science and space, so I've listened to Neil deGrasse Tyson on astrophysics and Chris Hadfield, who is an astronaut on the International Space Station. I love so many of the classes you can find on Masterclass. So this holiday season, give one annual membership and get one for free at masterclass.com slash appleinsider15. Right now, you can get two memberships for the price of one at masterclass.com slash appleinsider15. That's masterclass.com slash appleinsider15. Offer terms apply. The link is also in the show notes. You can just click it there. Our thanks to Masterclass for sponsoring this episode. All right, so the latest betas of iOS 17.2 and iPad and watchOS 10.2 came out. And one feature I am most excited for, is specifically for the Apple Watch, is that there will now be a toggle in the settings where you can go back to swiping across your Apple Watch face to switch between your Apple Watch faces. And now I know this is like, not everybody likes this. So there's several people on social media that were like, I'm glad it's a toggle because I never liked the swiping. And I understand you can get some false swipes. But for me, I loved being able to just swipe right to left on my Apple Watch and scroll through my different Apple Watch faces. And my wife had done that uh, pretty often as well. And once she updated to watchOS 10, she was like, how come this doesn't work anymore? <laughs> and I had to explain, well, it's gone. So that's actually coming back in watchOS 10.2. So I'm excited for that. It was a weird thing to go away in the yeah. first place. Like I like the interaction as well, but um, I, I agree. I think it's better as a toggle, like give people the option. And then also the journal app continues to be improved uh, in the beta process. And I've been trying it more and more. I still haven't put it on my main phone. Like I said, I'm using it on a secondary phone and you don't get as much interaction suggestions uh, on that. But even in the latest betas, it has been more proactive, A, sending notifications saying it's time to reflect, you know, write something in the journal. But I've actually been getting places and photo recommendations more often now. Actually, ironically, when I went to go get my M3 Pro MacBook Pro, I had taken this secondary iPhone because that's what I was actually filming the vlog on that I did. And it actually recommended that later that evening, like, hey, looks like you went somewhere. 
Here's some locations and photos because I did capture photos and videos while I was there. Why don't you write about it? And so I could create an entry and included the location from the maps. I can include photos from that day. And uh, yeah, it worked out really well. I will say, and I want to hear your experience with the journal too, because I know you're using it more. I wish it was a little smarter at suggesting things on the date that you are writing for. So for instance, the recommendation of the M3 Pro, like I went to the mall or whatever, you know, that was a specific day. And Apple knows the photos I took that day and the podcast I listened to that day. And it pulled in the place and it was that automatic suggestion. But I feel like unless it proactively suggests something, it's kind of uh, not adept at pulling information from that day. So ideally, if I'm writing in this journal entry and I hit the little photos icon at the bottom, this shows my camera roll from like right now. Like it shows me my most recent photos at top. And I almost wish there was either a toggle or a default behavior where it would just show me the photos and videos of the day that I'm writing about. You know, I've already chosen what day to create an entry on. That's kind of like one of the main things you do. Like if you're going to create a new entry in the journal app, you can you say new entry and then it automatically either has today if that's what you're writing about or you can do custom date. So it, by default, your journal entry has a date already programmed in. And so I would love for it to be more like here are the pictures you took that day. Here's the things you listened to that day and just be a little more uh, you know exact about the recommended contents. But how has your experience been using that? Yeah, so I actually have been doing an entry every single day. Um, just okay. keep going, keep trying the different features and uh, try adding different content. And uh, my recommendations have been evolving. So I get more photo memories to go back. Um, the way Apple's uh, recommendation engine works, it, it seems like what they want you to do is take something like a memory uh, from photos and write about it that day. You can change it to the date of the mem of the photos that they were taken if they're if they if it was one of the memories that's actually a single day. Um, you can say it's the date from the photos, and that's fine. So you'll you can have you can start creating historical entries for those memories, and that's kind of nice. I agree with you. It's it's odd that all this information seems to be available, but only if it chooses to get it. It may not be a apt analogy, but I'm thinking of it as fetch versus push in mail. Right. What we want it to do is fetch. We want it to take the date and go find everything about that day and show it to me and say, would you like to include all of this data that I have about that day in your entry? But what's actually happening is it's waiting for a push from a data indicator. Like it's waiting for music to give it like music for a day. And then once that date is gone, it's never coming back. <laughs> right. Um, and it's, it's fine as it is now. And again, this is beta and it's early on. And this app's definitely going to evolve as they work on it. Um, I, I, I would assume 17.4 or whatever, we're going to see new features for the journal app. Like I, I, I have a feeling that's how quickly this is going to evolve. I, it's not abandoned where by any case, because a lot of people assume that this is this is the experience we're going to have forever. It's yeah. just not the case. Uh, um, but. I actually got a like contact suggestion, oh, which was cool. So like I was texting someone and it popped up in my journal. You were talking to this person today. Would you like to create an entry about the conversation you had? And so like location suggestions, still not sticking to the name. I have to name my home address every time. I will say when it's a place like a store or a restaurant, it keeps it logs those names very well. It's not showing just like a random right. address. Yeah, like the recommendations are really cool. So I can foresee a time like once this is fully operational, you'll get a suggestion with images, contacts that you were with, music you listened to, photos you took, maybe even the food you ate because it can see the pictures you took of you know stuff like that. Like right. all of this stuff will start breaking down. We just don't have 
full access to that API yet. Like it's, they're slowly rolling it out. But one thing I was missing from day one that uh, journal did not do is it doesn't log mindfulness minutes for when you're journaling. Huh. Uh, so I created an automation for that. <laughs> of course, of course. All right. So very simple. I love the two-step automations. Yes. They're my favorite. Automatically set the mindfulness focus when journal is open. Uh, so it automatically switches to the mindfulness okay. focus. There's one of, That's one of the, the default presets that you can use from Apple. It pretty much do, does nothing out of the box. There's no, no special features to that. Um, but I have streaks installed. And streaks can log mindfulness minutes. So I have streaks when it sees I'm in mindfulness focus, automatically start a mindfulness timer. Nice. And it, as long as I'm in the journal app, that timer is running. And when I leave the journal app, the timer stops. So as long as I'm journaling, as long as I'm in the app reading or, or logging entries, it counts as mindfulness minutes in the health app now. That's really cool. That's pretty cool. Very nice. Well, that's a good automation, and I'm excited for the journal. Of, uh, having it on my main device, I think, is going to make a big difference. And I really I do want to see like podcast recommendations in there. I don't know why. I mean, because it's such a big part of what I listen to. And I mean, all all I see is podcast recommendations. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I get those. I get those before I get music uh, because I listen to so many podcasts. See, I don't know. I don't know um, what it is. I mean, again, it's not on my main device, so I, I can't judge it. You have to listen to the podcast on the device. So that's what's weird. Uh, a quirk. I listen to music on HomePods while I'm working, AirPlay 2. Um, I listen to and anything like that. If you listen to music on your Mac or your iPad, none of it counts, right. at least right now. I, there's no cloud pulling here. Everything has to be pulled from the phone. So I have to listen to music on the phone with AirPods to see the music, which I almost never do. If I have AirPods right. in uh, with my phone, it's usually podcasts. That's why I only see music, uh, podcast recommendations. Um, and I've tried the AirPlay 2 trick. HomePod keeps stealing it. Oh, <laughs> I, yeah. these, right? Because that's, that's a feature of AirPlay 2. It's like, oh, let me help you. We're going to take the music from the phone and put it on the HomePod. Now it's no longer a controller. It's like, no, let the phone control the music so I can log my music, please. Yeah. It's odd but i again i have a feeling cloud syncing all of the stuff you do on your other devices into journal on iphone is coming later that's going to be an that's an obvious next step it's just you have to do it on the phone with journal running right now yeah and and i've tried to play podcasts on the phone that i test and i'll let the podcast just kind of run for a while and it's just you know it's take, it just takes a while. You're just not getting the recommendation. Yeah, it's not getting it, but it, I'm sure it'll come. I, I think it. I think it knows that you're. You're not. It knows I'm not for you know, real. You're I'm not, not, I'm not it seriously. You're, I'm not actually journaling. Journaling enough. You're a beta poser, and the journal is calling you out. So, well, I'm excited for it. It'll probably come out maybe end of this month, early December. Um, yeah, I'm feeling. I'm feeling December because yeah, Thanksgiving holidays coming pretty quick. That is so. true. They typically don't don't release there. So, but anyway, be on the lookout for that. Now, this next story. This is from the Nothing Phone, which is a recent-ish mobile brand. They make the Nothing Phone that runs Android. It's one of the more interesting hardware devices, I think, actually, that, that runs Android. Yeah, they put LEDs in the back of a phone. It's whatever. They put LEDs in the back of the phone. <laughs> the operating system is also unique. You know, they've customized Android to match their Nothing aesthetic. Well, they've recently made an announcement that they're launching Nothing Chats, which lets Android users and those who would be using the Nothing Phone Share their Apple ID with nothing that you can then iMessage on your nothing phone using the Nothing Chats app. Now, this is not native iMessage. Apple has not allowed this or anything like that. But this is also acting like a similar service, if you guys have heard of it, called Beeper, I believe it is. And there's a, another one, but 
Beeper would let you basically log in with your iCloud account and allow you to get your iMessages on other phones, namely Android devices, using the Beeper app. Now, how Beeper and Nothing is doing this is it basically has to have your Apple ID signed into some device that can get iMessages so that they can then push that iMessage back to the app, whether it's Nothing Chats or Beeper, and then you can actually engage with it and interact. Now, this seems like interesting, maybe a cool feature, especially if you're on Android, but I kind of have a huge red flag about this, namely because you're having to give your Apple ID login to a third-party service, namely Nothing Phone here or with Beeper, and in doing so, it is logging into a device with your Apple ID. And so there are people who have tried Beeper and logged in with their Apple ID, and they report that they see a random device, sometimes it's a random Mac Mini, signed into their iCloud account, because you can see every device that's signed into your iCloud account. You can go on your iPhone right now, you go to the settings app, you tap your name at the top for all the iCloud settings, and in that menu, you see every device, HomePod, Apple TV, I even see a Chromecast where I've logged in for Apple TV+, Plus. I see my computers, every device that has my Apple ID logged in, I see it there. And for security measures, you can choose to log out of that device or at least remove that device from your Apple ID or iCloud account, and it will be removed until you log back into it. The problem is your Apple ID is connected to so many things. Most importantly, and this is where the whole Wall Street Journal and Joanna Stern's reporting about thieves getting your iPhone PIN or passcode to unlock the device and then resetting Apple ID passwords, is your iCloud keychain or your iCloud passwords are also synced with that same Apple ID. So not there's no reports that anything nefarious is happening as of yet, but nothing, if they're logging into a random Mac mini sitting in a server room somewhere with your Apple ID to enable this kind of blue bubble thing, that means that that Mac mini is also has access to your iCloud keychain and your iCloud passwords and even your photos that you might be doing with iCloud photo library. And everything that is connected to your iCloud account, which if you're an Apple user is increasingly just more and more things are connected to that. And for that reason, this feels like somewhat of a risky proposition. Again, if you are a mainly Android user and you're not using an Apple ID for lots of different things like iCloud backup and iCloud keychain, then maybe you just create an Apple ID for this alone and for communicating with your friends who have iPhones and they're, you know, whatever, ragging on you because you have green bubbles then it might be less of a risk. But if you're if you're an Apple ecosystem default user and you have lots of data attached to your Apple ID, this is, I think, a little risky. And I've, it's pretty surprising. I mean, I don't know what Apple can do to, you know, get ahead of this or, or even limit this kind of functionality because they need to let you sign in with your iCloud account to lots of different things. I have a one-time passcode for Fantastical. So Fantastical can get my iCalendar events. And there's other services that might uh, do that as well. So. This is a, a bit of a red flag emoji, if you will. But I don't know, Wes. Yeah, I think you probably feel similarly. But what do you think? Yeah, don't do this. Um, never. <laughs> don't do this. I, I don't care if you own a nothing phone. Don't give anyone access to anything ever. Like your, if it requires you to give them your username and password, like admin control of your account. Bad idea. Don't do yeah. that. Um, especially since we know that you're basically signing into a Mac Mini and a server. You don't know once you sign into a computer what they're doing 
I don't care. Nothing can be the most secure company on the planet. Uh, Sunbird is actually the application. Nothing didn't do anything special here. This isn't nothing's technology. Right, and other apps have done this before. Higher engineers yeah. and yeah, like the well, there's a there's a million apps that come out every week because Apple keeps thwarting their uh, protocols. Basically, Blue Bubble. Um, there's hmm. a million of these things, uh, and they they come and go because they're hacky, weird ways of doing this because. Um, there's no official way uh, and it's fine experiment whatever but most of them require you to sign into some kind of server and uh, sunbird claims that this is perfectly private and secure and all your data is safe but your login credentials now for your apple id are in someone else's yes. computer in a place you don't have access to or know where it is <laughs> let's be clear <laughs> no you don't know if a rogue employee could grab those credentials and go sign in, uh, you don't know what kind of access the computer that they have running your Apple ID has. Someone could just go and start browsing your photo library. You just don't know because you don't have any control anymore. At that point, you've relinquished control. Uh, just don't do it. It's not a good idea. Apple will eventually do something probably with RCS. So spoiler, after we recorded, Apple actually announced that RCS is officially coming in late 2024 to the iPhone. So yeah, RCS coming next year. It's not that big a deal. I know it's the social stigma, whatever, and maybe it's a cool party trick to say, look, it's an Android phone, but I have a blue bubble message. Yeah, It's not that important to give up that much security and privacy for that kind of uh, thing. It's just a bad idea. And I don't know why nothing feels the need to promote such a feature like they they have their niche that i don't think they're going to get anyone from a pixel phone to come over or anything especially once you do two seconds of reading and realize this is just a third-party app that they pre-install on their phone yeah so that's a thing that's happening yeah <laughs> so <laughs> this episode is brought to you by notion and notion ai Guys, I've been using Notion more and more for all of my work. I'm planning videos there. I'm planning podcasts. I love Notion just for all its organizational features. And honestly, the iPhone app is really great for jotting down quick ideas. And then I can work on those ideas later when I come to my Mac. And I have my Notion application right there. But one of the most powerful things you can do is using Notion AI. Notion AI can now give you instant answers to your questions using information from across your Notion wiki projects, docs, and meeting notes. And I love it for brainstorming ideas or even summarizing things like a transcript. One of the things I love to do is take a transcript, maybe it's from a video I recorded or even a podcast, and I can ask Notion AI to pull out five bullet points or make some social media posts. Or maybe I want it to be a blog post that I put on the website. Notion AI can do all of that. Not only can it summarize and pull out pertinent information, but you can actually have it change the tone of your writing. Maybe you're writing a letter. Maybe it's to your boss or maybe it's to a friend and you want it to sound more professional or more casual. Notion can do that too. And Notion AI can even translate your content if you want to have something in a different language on your website or even get a transcript in a different language. Notion AI can translate for you too. Plus, you can trust your data is secure because Notion AI is designed to protect your information. No AI models are trained with your information, the data is encrypted, and answers will never use information from pages you don't have access to. And I love that you can just hit the little slash and ask AI, and it has lots of prompts to help you figure out what to do. Many other AI tools, it's just an empty text box and you're not sure how to start, but Notion AI walks you through the process from the very beginning to make sure you can make the most of Notion AI. So try Notion AI for free when you go to Notion.com slash Apple Insider. That's all lowercase letters, Notion.com slash Apple Insider to try the powerful, easy to use Notion AI today. And when you use our link, you're supporting the Apple Insider podcast. That's Notion.com slash Apple Insider. That link is in the show notes. You can just click it there. Our thanks to Notion for sponsoring this episode. 
real quick, we'll cover a couple of rumors and I want to get to the AI pin. But it looks like the M3 Ultra, which will inevitably be coming probably next year, maybe WWDC. Mark Gurman from his Power On newsletter says it could have a whopping 80 GPU cores for the M3 Ultra, which, yeah, makes sense. The M2 Ultra had 76. So, you know, not that far. What are we at now? 40? For the M3 uh, in the, in Pro. In the M3 for the M3 Max, Max lineup, M3 yeah. Max. So yeah, yeah, doubling that would make sense, up to 80. That's uh, times two math. But I mean, I'm excited to see what this thing is going to do. I think it's going to rip, as they say. It's going to be an incredible machine, um, especially if they shove it in the uh, Dinosaur Mac Pro. But uh, <laughs> no, no, wait a minute. I, I just, it, there's a 2023 model. The Mac Pro is uh, just launched. It's, it's still a dinosaur. I mean, they just ripped out its guts and put new guts inside of it but it, the the carcass is still the same i don't true. know yeah okay all right yeah I, it's it's fine i just when you see this kind of performance on this chipset and a macbook like Crazy. what I, that mac pro is not long for this world well i mean the name mac pro i don't think is going anywhere but that case they're not utilizing it i mean unless they come up with a way to actually bring in third-party gpus why why does it yeah, exist yeah. <laughs> i get it no i know there's five people on earth that need the additional pcie slots <laughs> i know that that they they serve a purpose no i'm no, not I know, being sarcastic there's at least maybe at least 10 <laughs> but there are people that need those pcie slots with apple silicon they do exist yeah, how do. long is apple going to you know build specifically for them i think they're utilizing a lot of the stuff that they had left laying around to build this machine. But Apple Silicon, I, I believe is going to leave that machine behind. We're going to see something else, maybe not this cycle, but it just seems odd that this is where we're at right now. Anyway, for sure. Also early next year, 2024, we should be seeing an iPad air refresh, even a larger iPad air 12.9 inch. This is from Ming-Chi Kuo saying that there'll be a 10.9 and 12.9 inch model. Then to match the iPad Pro, also has the two models, 11-inch and 12.9-inch. So I think this would be welcome. I mean, a larger size iPad, but a little more affordable than the iPad Pro lineup. I imagine this will be updated with an M3 processor, and ideally we'll see the iPad Pros updated with M3 as well. Maybe even those OLED screens as of rumored. Well, we'll see. I, th I think I mentioned it on the show last time I was on, but this is th this rumor keeps cropping up. Well, actually, I think it might have just been a Mastodon post, but existence of two ipad airs um at different sizes that are consumer grade without the pro motion without the micro led uh they're, they're going to be standard led because uh, the the newer ipad pros will probably be oled right uh like they're they're just going to be standard ipads probably priced you know the 12.9 inch might be priced closer to 800 dollars at a starting point so you can get in on the ipad pro at 200 dollars or the 12.9 inch ipad at 200 dollars cheaper that's a value to customers like it makes sense for these products to exist i know a lot of people are saying but it, you know it's just crowding the product pipeline yeah there's a hole there and i and i think we we should have a cheaper larger ipad like a lot of rumors are pointing to the 12.9 inch ipad coming back as ipad pro yeah. we'll see i think maybe this generation sure but if as, whenever they do a redesign whenever they re create these things uh for whatever purpose in the future we're going to see a bigger ipad like I don't, I don't see them sticking to 13 inch for another decade but we'll we'll see i do want to say because i don't know i really want to see differentiation here and if ipad air has m3 ipad pro should have m3 pro i know yeah it doesn't I get have a it. fan i get it you throw a, a big enough heat sink in that thing maybe don't max out its cores maybe you know maybe have an artificial limitation yes i know that kind of defeats the purpose but there's more to the m3 pro than just sheer performance uh, you know the media engine right, and everything right. else that it, a lot going on with that chipset 
that would be worthwhile beyond just sheer performance. So yes, maybe it'll be capped versus being in a Mac with a fan or a Mac with space to breathe. But I think you can't have the same chipset bottom to top. Maybe, maybe they do because they can differentiate in other ways, but it would just be, it's the writings on the wall for some differentiation here. And M three from bottom to top doesn't make sense, especially when you're talking about consumer versus pro devices Apple loves their naming schemes. Yeah. And as I said before, this M3 Pro, everyone's complaining is not that big a step up, yada, yada, has a lot of efficiency cores. What's it for? This is what it's for. This is like being in more consumery pro, you know, right. prosumer devices at the middle. And that's why the M3 Max is so differentiated because that is the true. I need all the performance in the world pro processor. And the M3 Pro is the. I'm pro in name, but I don't need to max out every core every time I turn on my right. computer. And that's the difference. And I, I wonder if we'll see that in iPad anyway. <laughs> no, yeah, I'd be curious to see. All right. Well, I do want to mention the AI pin. This is from Humane. We talked about it on recent episodes, but it actually went up for sale this earlier this week, actually, on Tuesday. Uh, well, it was Tuesday for early supporters, quote unquote, which I subscribed to their email list when they first lo- like announced everything. And so I guess that makes me an early supporter. Orders open then for early supporters, and then anyone can buy it now. It is $700 for one color. If you want the white version or the other chrome with black version, then it is $800. Who knows why the other colors are 100 more? I mean, it feels like an Apple move, but Apple's been doing the same colors for the same price for a long time, so I don't even know. But anyway, uh, so if you want the white one, it's like $800. You do get like a couple battery packs, and you get the case and all of that. But it was also revealed that in order to use this pin at all, you do have to pay a $24 monthly subscription, which covers the T-Mobile cellular service, which is through like a humane MVNO or whatever, but it's basically their cellular service. To manage the AI pin, you have to go to the website and do all of that. And there's, yeah, I don't know. This thing is going to be interesting. It doesn't launch until early next year. So when you order it, it says available early 2024 or shipping then. So we're not going to see it before the end of the year. Uh, listen, I'll be honest. I got one because I like technology. Well, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like technology, but also, I mean, I find it fascinating. I, I honestly think this is going to provide a lot of inaccurate information and it's not going like for that reason alone might fail aside the fact that interacting with it's probably going to be very cumbersome since it doesn't have a screen. There's not an app right now that you can manage it from your phone. You literally have to log into a website. Like there are many things counting against it, but I'm curious to test this thing out. And as they show in the demo on Humane's website, hold up a book and have this thing tell you how much it is, which I heard a lot of other like tech journalists saying like so many questions about that one interaction. If you hold up a book to this pin and it tells you it's $28, is it $28 on the author's website? Is it $28 on Amazon? Is it $28 at Barnes & Noble or Books a Million? Eh. Does it actually cost $28? Did it make up the number? I don't exactly. know. Exactly. And then if it says, like, asks you to buy and you say, yeah, buy it, what card is it charging? What service is it buying from? Like, maybe it'll provide more of that feedback live when you actually have this device. But so many questions about that. He also held up a handful of almonds. And the AI pin could tell you how much protein were in the amount of almonds he was holding. It was incorrect. It was incorrect also. So all of that to say, I hope there's a good return policy on this thing. But also, I'm, I want to test this thing out and just see like what it does. They didn't even announce the video resolution that it will capture. It's like unknown. So 
four. <laughs> just, <laughs> that's, that's it. If that's it the resolution four. four. So that, uh, wild. Just this thing is wild. I'll be nice. Um, <laughs> okay. This is the most interesting tech conversation happening right now there for a lot of reasons like it's as it's asking a lot of questions like is this like is this a future of interactions with technology could something like this ultimately replace the smartphone for me it's a five alarm fire and an alarm is going off of my head because like this is the antithesis of my existence it's a a wearable camera that yes it has a trust light you know what defeats a trust light tape <laughs> electrical tape or, or permanent marker but I, I called it sneaky tape in my uh, write-up um because so, they had a trust light but um so it, it it's a voice activated or well it's not voice activated actually you have to perform a hand gesture to tell it to wake up and then give it voice commands as if you're having a conversation because we're really cool people talking That's to right. our jackets and you're talking to <clears throat> AI, <laughs> uh, which doesn't exist, but uh, you're talking to a, a, a server over a cellular connection, asking for information that is a very high likelihood of being wrong or made up. Um, yeah. And it has access to your payment information. It can record conversations without other people knowing. It can capture images and video without other people. It's just the antithesis of my existence. I, I, like I'm not again. I'm using nice words here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's fine. It's interesting. Uh, you put a bunch of ex Apple engineers in it, together in a room, and they came up with um, this. I would call it a toy. No, no. it's not going to replace smartphones. And I, like that, let's 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 be real. This is an interesting device for what it is, but I think it's an example of. And I think John Gruber said it best. If Apple released something like this as an accessory to an iPhone, mm. we'd all be 100% more interested in it because not only would we have a verifiable trust pattern with Apple with privacy and right. <laughs> it would it would be a little bit more natural. I think something like this actually like trying to see the good in this. I've I've been trying to <laughs> like look at what this is actually beneficial for. Uh think about the future where say apple watch is the only thing you need you no longer need an iphone what do you miss the most when you don't have an iphone with you and it's the mm -hmm. camera so i could i could imagine apple dissecting a phone and then moving its pieces to different parts of your body like you wear the watch for the information center you have a camera that maybe you carry a lapel pin or you carry it in your your chest pocket or your or right. whatever that you can pull out and it's a small camera that can capture stuff that way you're not without a camera but it's also not a bulky phone like there's ways this technology can evolve for us to interact with it in the future this just isn't it. it's an interesting prototype that they're trying to sell you for money definitely an interesting conversation piece but that's all they've really created and i wish them the best maybe they'll make something cool later down the line maybe this will give them enough money from enough uh people who like you who, who are buying it for <laughs> yeah. the fun of it because it's technology it's something i'm interested in looking at it i i the privacy nightmare side of it makes me not want to be in the room right. with one but it's it's definitely something worth looking at and discussing. I don't want to dismiss it completely offhand, but I will say realistically, not looking at this as some kind of fanboy or whatever. It's just, this isn't it, but it, it's definitely a look at what could be done later with the right technology. So, and the one, the one way I heard it described, which I thought was interesting is many companies, including Apple with the Apple vision pro 
Meta with the MetaQuest 3 and the Pro. VR and spatial computing is what many companies see as the future. And this is one of the few companies that sees the future with AI, with less visual interaction with technology, and maybe more audio and more discreet. You know, wearing an Apple Vision Pro out in public is actually way more obvious and probably distracting than wearing a pin. Uh And so just the nature of the difference of where is the future of computing going? And like I will admit, I I do not think it is a pin that just talks to you, but I'm, I'm glad that there is a company experimenting with a different method. Yeah, this that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not mad this thing exists. Right. I'm glad that there's people trying. I can just say that it's not going to do what they want it to do. I, I will say too, though, AI is a technology, whatever machine learning yeah. algorithm nonsense. Uh, this technology, I don't think it's the kind of technology that needs to be packaged this way. It's it's a it's a feature. Uh, as a part of a greater package it's not the package you're not apple isn't going to come out with siri 2.0 running on a gpt style engine and put it in a wristwatch or or a ring or a a lapel pin or whatever and that be the only interaction point and i know what that that home pod is series interaction point but it's a different device i'm talking about a personal computer ai first i don't think is ever going to happen oh (laughs) <laughs> there it is. It's not going to be that kind of package. Like I, I understand that might be short-sighted, and yes, the future is long and bright or whatever. But I can see these things becoming part of other packages. I don't think you need to put it in a special place like a pen and say this is Chat GPT that you wear on your shirt. Like I, that's just not the path forward. I will say I also played around with the Chat GPT creator tools, which OpenAI had like this keynote last week. We didn't really cover it. But they announced lots of different tools for developers and just anyone to use if you have ChatGPT+. And so you can go in there and, and build your own quote-unquote GPT, which is basically training a specific kind of chat bot that you will save in your ChatGPT window if you do the same kind of repeated tasks. And you could train it a little more so it becomes a quote-unquote app maybe for a, a specific purpose. I've actually done this, uh, especially for like, YouTube videos, I can feed it a transcript and it will offer me titles, descriptions, and tags. And I had some prompts and I and I actually find I was able to train it more. So it's what I'm looking for faster and I don't have to take so much time to massage it each time I make another request. So again, it's interesting. Again, we'll, it will be next year that you hear about the <laughs> AI pin, but, but we'll see. I'm excited to try it. I'll, I'll, I'll just say again, I have yet to use any of these technologies gpt whatever <laughs> so i mean maybe maybe if i get a test unit or something and that that'll force me to actually sign up for a chat gpt open ai account or whatever and try it out but yeah i've yet to even create a fake image or yeah. whatever it's just such an weird thing to me and i, I want to see the technology evolve and i want to see where it goes but i feel like again just to, to close on this chat like these uh generative models the chatbots and stuff they're building this is like cryptocurrency blockchain is a great technology cryptocurrency isn't what it's actually for and it's going to be useful for like it's going to be useful for other things in the future just like these chatbots i don't think this is actually what this technology is going to be useful for it's useful as a tool descript just came out with an amazing summary script or for something like a podcast you just feed it your podcast and it creates chapters and summarizes them and can even assign art and stuff like that is an amazing tool 
that will improve our workflows in the future. But talking to a robot and asking a question so it can lie to you, that is not the future. And yeah, so we'll, we'll just see how it goes. We'll, we'll have to see. There were some other things we wanted to cover this week. We just don't have time for everyone. So check the links in the show notes. And of course, appleinsider.com. You can reach out to Wes and myself. Our handles are in the show notes. You can check it out there. And of course, you can support the show to get an ad-free version and early access at patreon.com slash appleinsider and directly in Apple Podcasts. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.